We acknowledge traditional owners of the lands on which we recorded these episodes and their elders past and present. This is Graduate in the USA, here to help Australian students take advantage of the many opportunities to study at US colleges and universities. My name is Samantha Jackson. I have been with Education USA as an Education Outreach Manager located in Melbourne, the US Consulate, since July 2016. My own educational journey included attending a US college at Northern Illinois University where I was recruited on their Division I golf team. I'm always enthused when I meet students with the same aspirations of attending a US college. I know how rewarding and impactful that whole experience can be. It is my great pleasure to introduce Heather Marini, and together we will unpack the topic, how to be recruited as a student athlete. Heather has a great story herself, and in 2020, was named the quarterback coach at Brown University, becoming the first female positional coach in Division I football. Hello, Heather, and welcome to Graduate in the USA. Hi, how are you? I am great. It is fantastic connecting with you again. But before we drill down in today's topic, Heather, I think it's really interesting. You grew up in Victoria. It is the home of Australian rules football. I'm really interested to hear how you started playing gridiron um, and then moving into coaching. It is a very long story. I, you're right. I grew up a few hours north of Melbourne and the biggest sports growing up were Aussie rules, footy and netball. I always loved sports. I played tennis as well and I thought I was going to be the head coach of the Australian netball team when I grew up. But while I was studying coaching at Deakin, I met my husband and he played American football. So I went down to my first game and it was the craziest sport I had ever seen. I I wasn't sure I actually liked it (laughs) at the time. But, you know, over time it became the best bits of all the sports I'd grown up with kind of all rolled into one. I got the opportunity to coach both as a strength and conditioning coach and but then become a positional coach and then a head coach uh, for the Monash University Warriors And then uh, when the women's league started, I got the chance to play, which was an awesome experience. And I got to share my experience coaching men, moving into coaching women and and playing with women, which was was really cool. And I was so excited to share my love of gridiron with them. Well, we can certainly thank your husband for that introduction to that sport. So so thank you. Sports at US colleges enables students to receive world-class coaching um, while graduating with academic degrees. And I know for Australians, many don't know of that opportunity. And often it takes meeting someone, learning about it, or having someone introduce the idea to them. Tell us how you arrived at Brown University. You're right. It's a nice pipe dream for a lot of people. You know, you hear about it, you see it in the movies, but you're right in that Coming to Brown was a a very interesting journey and a little different. For me, coming over as a coach, I was part of the NFL Women's Pathway and the head coach who started here at Brown and I had met through the Women's uh, Pathway with the NFL. But for most students coming over to study and come over on maybe academic or athletic scholarships, the journey starts a lot earlier, <laughs> investigating and trying to figure out you know, where you want to go and how you want to go about it. it. takes a lot of research and a lot of extra work than maybe applying and going to school in Australia. 
probably just one last step of your experience. And I believe um, you came to Oregon State as part of an internship. I think that probably opened your eyes to college sports. When you're at Oregon State and you're walking past indoor and outdoor stadiums, got locker rooms and meeting rooms that have barbershops, um, it really is on a professional scale that not even probably exists for most Australian professional sports. Tell us how that experience impacted you Yes, my internship at Oregon State was incredible. Uh, When I first started getting into gridiron, I was doing strength and conditioning, and I really thought that perhaps that was a pathway for me to work at a professional level in the sport. Obviously, being in Australia, uh, gridiron coaches don't get paid. So uh, getting the opportunity to be at Oregon State and to, to learn from the coaches there was awesome. But you're right in that the facilities when you take that step, especially at those high division one levels of college football and college sports in general, uh, are nothing like you've ever seen before. I would walk into work every day and there's a basketball court uh, stadium on my right and a football stadium on my left and then a giant world-class strength and conditioning weight room performance facility and then another practice field and then indoor facilities. Uh, And it's one of those, you know, for someone who grew up loving sports and loving to compete and loving being an athlete, you know, it really just gives you goosebumps uh, and the sort of place that I would want to play. And I've since got to visit a lot of schools and seen a lot of incredible facilities. Uh, And it's something, you know, want to be a coach. That's always a fun place to take your craft and and kind of be around those world-class facilities all the time. Yeah, that's fantastic. And obviously there's coaches like you that have um, student athletes be the best that they can be. Now, Heather, as you and I both know, there are wonderful college sport opportunities throughout the US. We know that there's three associations. They are the National Junior College Athletic Association, which are two-year institutions. And then there are US colleges at the four-year institutions, either with the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics Um, and they tend to be smaller programs. And again, we have the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the NCAA, often known by Australians because of March Madness. Thank you, basketball. So even before students contact coaches like you, what tips can you provide in how they can identify which association will match their academics and talent skills? The first thing I'd say is do as much research as possible. When you're going through the process of trying to come to the US uh, to play sports, you know you have to be your own best advertiser. <laughs> you have to do your own marketing. And part of being able to do that is know how you fit into a system that wasn't designed for you. It was designed sometimes for players that are growing up in the, the high school system and in the US and coming over as an international student. You have a lot more things that you need to know and find out and, and figure out. So doing as much research as possible is the first thing, you know, knowing that there are multiple divisions within the NCAA uh, is is one thing that I always start with, you know, do you know that there is division one, division two and division three and the differences between those divisions? If you are being spoken to by a Division III school, did you know that they might not give you a scholarship? And so those sorts of research type questions are really important as Australians because you need to make sure you're having the right conversations with the coaches and admissions, but also making sure that you can also answer their questions because they'll have a lot of questions about how your sporting background and your academics fit into what they're used to seeing on a daily basis. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you're right. I think people are shocked to learn that Division Three do not give athletic scholarships. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't get academic or merit-based scholarships in, in other areas. And that's certainly something that you need to be researching. So I'm going to digress just a little bit. Uh, we know that Australians are well-liked when they often go to US colleges. They have a great work ethic. They speak English, even though it's Australian English versus American English. And they have a good sense of humour, and that's often uh, appreciated at NCAA schools. Um, interestingly, Australia is ranked fifth in providing student-athletes to NCAA schools. And I think Title IX that came through in 1972 creates many opportunities for female athletes out there as well. So it's really something to look into and actively research. So what's interesting, Heather, is when you hear of Australians or meet Australians that are, are considering the pathway to a US college, what's your reaction? I think it's awesome. I think you know, for you know, someone who grew up loving sports, you know, to me, I didn't really understand what it would mean to come over and play sports in the US. You know, when you're an athlete, you want to play at the highest level always and coming over to play uh, college sports gives you that opportunity to live it every day and be part of the college sports family, which really is something that I didn't understand what that meant until I was in that is a really, really cool experience, but it also is such a an opportunity to get better as an athlete. And I think that probably leads through our next couple of questions really well. When students begin to identify programs with their parents, there is great value in diversifying one's college list and putting colleges on that list that they perhaps have not been familiar with or have not heard their names. What do you advise potential student athletes who want to be recruited at your college about diversifying that list and they may not get to Brown. Yeah, I think it's important at all stages of the process to be really speaking to as many schools as you possibly can. Uh, as you get to know schools and coaches and programs, uh, you can start to narrow down that list a little bit, but you should always be speaking to as many coaches uh, as will answer your emails or your phone calls. Going through the process uh, with in recruiting, um, but also talking to Australian athletes when I was a coach in Melbourne, the most important thing is trying to make as many connections as possible because you're not coming from maybe a high school where the college coach has an automatic connection with the head coach of your high school program and they already know about you and you know about them and you already have that relationship. So trying to build those relationships and reach out to as many coaches as you can as early as you can is a great way to start. But it's also really important as you go through the recruiting process to find exactly the right school for you and for them to find you as well. When people start researching possible athletic programs, how can they learn about the coaches and the team dynamics? And do you think they should be spending energy on this? Yeah, I, th I think that's really important. You know, I, we talk a lot about football is family, but sports are family. And, and when you're spending a lot of time uh, with the coaches and with your teammates, you know, being able to feel like you fit in and a part of a great team is really important. And also remembering that your degree over here is four years. So it's a little bit of time away from your own family and friends back in Australia that you have to make sure you feel comfortable and, and are in a place that you're going to really enjoy the experience. 
as you've developed relationships with coaches, whether it's by email or now everybody knows how to Zoom. So <laughs> that's a really easy way to get some FaceTime. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be here, but coming over and taking advantages of you know schools that have summer camps and programs like that, where you can really get to know the people in the programs that you're most interested in is a good opportunity as well. The more time that you can spend speaking to a coach, not only helps you get to know them and you can ask lots of questions, the, the more interest they have in you and having you as part of their program, uh, the more time they're going to spend answering your questions as well. So it can really help uh, feel it out on both sides. However, it's not unusual that sometimes coaches leave. Thus, the college choice often has to be about finding that best fit because as you mentioned, you are a student for four years. So it's about finding an academic good fit as well. Yeah, so you're right. To me, it's not only about finding a good fit, you know, in terms of the team that you want to play on and the coaches, because, you know, like you said, coaches can leave. We, you take jobs and, and people get fired and people get promoted and people move all over the place. So finding a great fit as a student becomes important because you want to be able to develop yourself as you become a great adult as you become a great human and go out into the world you know are you getting the education that you want you know I talk to football players about the fact that if you're going to be a professional the average career is like three years so let's say you triple that now you've had nine years playing professional football and now you're in your early 30s and you have the whole rest of your life what can make you love learning and what can you be interested in that you're going to then fill your time with uh, after post-professional career and whatever sport it is that you're you're dreaming about. But also schools that have great connections in the area that you want to go and work in, or perhaps it's a location that makes you feel exactly like home. Maybe you love to ski, so you're going to go somewhere that's near the ski fields, or maybe you can't be more than 30 minutes from the beach. So you've got to make sure that you, you're not uh, picking a school in the middle, middle of the country that's, that's going to be too far away for you to be able to go surfing. Uh, you know, the dorm experience and how different that is uh, at different schools and different places. Uh, can become uh, a big factor as well as things like weather. <laughs> we were just talking about the snow here in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, I, being Australian, I thought maybe I'd be allergic to snow, but as it turns out, I really enjoy it. But I, I would like winter to be a little bit shorter, but coming from Melbourne, I'm kind of used to that too. Finding a great fit is not just about finding somewhere to showcase your sporting skills, but finding somewhere that feels like home and feels like that you can spend a really enjoyable four years about out of it and come out at the end a really great human and, and ready to go off and, and do great things after college as well. Heather, you and I have both completed our high school years in Australia. Our system emphasises the importance of grades 11 and 12, and that's what generates the ATAR for university entrance in Australia. And sometimes students don't switch on until those final two years. However, the US system requires grades 9, 10, 11 and 12 as part of the application requirement. What would you share with Australians who are listening that are aspiring to be recruited as a student athlete in regards to applying themselves in the classroom? You know, that's one of the toughest parts of my job is, is going through student transcripts and seeing students that recognize too late just how important it is to apply themselves in the classroom. In Australia in particular, often you have a lot of choices when it comes to your classes, both in year nine and year 10 and through uh, 11 and 12. 
Uh, so my advice to Australian students is that you can't start early enough doing the research on what it is that you have to get done. Uh, there are a lot of non-negotiables when it comes to qualifying in the NCAA and in the other leagues that you talked about, and they're all a little bit different. If you didn't start thinking about it at the end of year eight, maybe that is going to be too late <laughs> and you'll have a lot of catching up to do and a lot of things that you need to get done in order to then become a qualifier. So I would say that part of being a student athlete is being exactly that, being a student as well as an athlete. And coaches, especially at high level programs, are looking for players that can be competitive on the field and in the classroom. So being able to demonstrate that through from year nine all the way through uh, is a great example of your ability to apply yourself uh, as well as time management. So don't take that one class off and, and then regret it later. Yeah, that's so true. And, and let's dig down a little bit about that. In regards to the NCAA, Divisions 1 and 2, if you haven't started researching this yet, you'll hear or read all kinds of information about the 16 core. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that now. But I think what's also interesting is that, Heather, you're at a very selective school. And I think some people believe that their athletic talent alone will get them into US colleges. And it's really hard for them to fathom how academically clever students are as well as athletes. Um, and that's especially true at Brown. Can you talk to us about how competitive it is to be recruited? And if we're talking at Brown, it's a selective institution. What does that mean? Yeah, so Brown is part of the Ivy League uh, and the Ivy League is a very high academic group of schools that don't give out athletic or academic scholarships. So it's always interesting to talk to potential students because you know, you're speaking to these students and they're going to be in classes with some of the top students in the entire country. They're valedictorians, they're, you know, 99.95 on their ATAR <laughs> type students. And they're going to be coming in and not only they're going to be coming into an academic uh, challenge like that, but they're also going to be playing division one sports. So there's a lot of opportunity to grow through your academics when you come into an institution like Brown, like these schools in the Ivy League, but also talking more broadly and coming in as a student athlete across the United States, you have to meet criteria in order to be eligible to get into the university uh, and to be an eligible athlete. So you don't want to just scrape by and, and not know whether you're going to have that eligibility because not only do you need that to get into the university in the first place, but then you need to maintain your eligibility for four years. And if you're not a strong student coming in, especially as an international student who's, you know, sacrificing a lot to move away from their family and friends and, and take this opportunity to follow their dreams, you know, you have to make sure that you have a really strong foundation to fall back on as classes get tougher and, and as competitions heat up and you're in the middle of the season and now you have a, a midterm or a test and you have to study. Uh, so the, the great thing about student athletes uh, at this level is that they have great time management skills. They have the ability to, to you know, stay organized and, and stay focused. And that's what leads them into being successful student athletes, but it also leads them into you know, really successful careers afterwards. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and we're not going to be able to answer all the questions on NCAA 16 core courses today, but we do want you to be aware of that. But I think there's oftentimes people that we see in our respective roles um, are challenged by not doing enough math, 
and not fulfilling the social sciences, which seem to be the major links within those applications. But can you provide to the listeners a bit of a subject plan and what your years of experience could share with them as well? Yes, I think, you know, really we talk about making sure that you're always studying four core classes. Do you have an English? Do you have a math? Do you have a science? And do you have an additional core class, whether it's a social studies or another language, something that will provide some course rigor. But having those core classes and those foundational ways of of learning and using your left brain and your right brain, that's what's really going to set you up going forward into college uh, where, you know, Brown is a little different, but in most colleges, you are going to have to continue to study certain core classes through your university career. And listeners out there, you know, the NCAA has some great resources that anyone can access. um, And they have a wonderful worksheet that any student should be filling out with their study plan with their career teachers at their schools. Now, I think COVID has perhaps made it a little easier for international students to now be recruited because let's be honest, US college coaches, you couldn't travel like you have been used to. And that is still limited. That also could be limited because of weather. Heather did walk to this session through the snow today. So developing a relationship with a coach is important. Communicating with a coach is important. Sharing footage, a sports profile is important. Can you share what you like to receive? I really appreciate it when, especially, you know, international athletes, but all student athletes that reach out to me, provide me as much information as possible. So it's really hard sometimes when you just get a name and a link to their film. Now, in Australia, we often don't think about filming our games as well. So, you know, the more film that you can provide your coach, the better. If you're obviously in a sport that has times and and competition results, that helps as well. But really, we want to be able to see your technique and your skills. Having a, a family, friend or a parent or someone on your team film your games and practices uh, can really help you in the long term. But going back to your question, what I really like is when they've done all the work for me. (laughs) Um, It makes it really easy when someone provides their GPA and their transcript and the classes that they're taking and their film, any results that they've had recently in competition, when they can provide that in a nice, neat little email or reach out to me on Twitter. Those are the things that make it easy for me to recruit them. I have kind of a vested interest in international uh, players and students. So a lot of coaches maybe don't and they don't, what they don't understand, they're not always going to be able to find out quickly. And they're all extraordinarily busy all the time. Uh, When we talk about, you know, graduation years, often in Australia, the school years don't always line up with the US. So making sure that you are talking to coaches and telling them that you're in the correct graduation year, which class you're going to be in, whether you're going to be in the class of 23, that probably means you finished school in Australia in December of 22. So those sorts of things become important so as not to confuse the situation. You know, we all speak English, but like you said, uh, sometimes things get lost in translation. And that's one easy way that especially Australian students can make sure that they're giving clear and good information to recruiting coaches as they speak to coaches here in the US. I think what's interesting there as well that you clearly articulated was about the grade point average. And you're right, our schools don't grade in a grade point average, but it is very simple to calculate that. If you are listening to this session today um, and you are working with your school and they are not familiar with this process, encourage them to get in touch with Education USA officers. We have templates that schools can use that can help you transfer your GPA grades as well. 
Heather, as you know, all sports have rules on when coaches can communicate with prospective student-athletes. We advise students that they should always be communicating with admissions departments as well as working closely with coaches. Can you talk about how this can be of value? Yeah, again, it comes back to that research aspect. You know, when you're talking to schools at different divisions, they indeed have different rules about when it is that they can talk to you. So just because you sent an email to a coach and didn't get a reply, if you don't understand when they can and cannot reply, you might think that they haven't read it, but they may have, or they may not have read it and you need to send a follow-up. So understanding and doing the research uh, on the different divisions, uh, both within the NCAA, in the NAIA, and as well as at the JUCO level, and knowing when coaches can and cannot speak to you uh, makes a big difference. It also will help you if you're planning a trip over to the US, whether you're doing summer camps or wanting to visit different schools, knowing when coaches can meet with you is very important because if you've flown all that way to check out a place uh, that you want to go to school and you're in a dead period and the coach can't come out and shake your hand, uh, that would be very disappointing both for you and for the coach. So just that, again, that tiny little bit of research that wouldn't take very long that can make a huge difference. Yeah, you make an interesting point there. International students often have to work a whole lot harder in getting their profile in front of coaches. Um, We often suggest that students should have their current coaches write a reference letter and have all the details on it so they can be contacted. Would you contact a coach if you didn't know a player that had reached out to you? I would. You know, here in the US, the way that it often works for student athletes is not only are they trying to get their name out, they're reaching out to college coaches on Twitter or via email. Uh, but also their high school coach uh, of their sport is reaching out and trying to help the high school program uh, send players to to great colleges and great programs. So that's a really normal relationship for us to be able to call the high school coach or the coach of the team and find out about students. It's kind of chicken or the egg. You know, sometimes I'll call a coach and the coach will tell me about the, the students on his team. Other times I find out about a student on the team and I call the coach to kind of get a, another opinion of someone who's working with you closely about, you know, how hard a worker you are. Do you skip sessions? All those sorts of work ethic type questions. Uh, those are the sort of questions that we would call and ask a high school coach uh, or, or a club coach in the case of most sports in Australia. So the timeline becomes really important for all students, but particularly international students as well. And I know Heather has mentioned the earlier you start, the better. So if you're in year nine and listening to it, it is great planning. But if you have arrived late to this process, it doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means you have to work a whole lot harder. And in regards to the timeline, are there any tips that you can give families, the student and the parent, on how they can navigate the process. Yeah, and I think uh, you know you have a, a few different options. The later you arrive to the process, sometimes the more steps you have to go through. Just like if you don't get into the unit course you wanted uh, in Australia, and you uh, go through and do um, certificate courses or transfer from another course, there are other ways and means of going around in a circle, perhaps to get exactly what it is that you want. I would also say that there are different sport-specific rules based on how long you have from when you graduate high school to when you need to enroll in college before you start to lose eligibility. And knowing what that rule is within your specific sport can really help you in knowing how much time you have uh, in dealing with lots of these things. 
most students here in the US from a timeline perspective really start getting serious in their junior year. So they're year 11, they're starting to visit schools, they're starting to develop closer relationships with coaches, they're thinking about summer camps where they get to come out and meet coaches and display their skills. Uh, And they're also starting to really knuckle down what it is that they want to study. Is the school that they're talking with and developing a relationship going to match what they want to study, what their major is going to be? And so those sorts of things all start to fall into place for most sports as you kind of lean into your year 11 year. But the groundwork has to start in year 9 or year 10 to make it it a really smooth process. Uh, And then, like you said, you know, there are ways and means of, of getting things done. So sometimes it's about doing a little bit of extra work, the JUCO system, like you said, and different divisions that have different academic requirements can sometimes be a better fit based on where you're starting from and how you're going to get there. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about that, Heather, is there is 41 universities in Australia. There are over 3,500 in the US. There are over 1,100 NCAA programs. There is a best fit if a family wants to work towards finding the best fit, opposed to maybe having a school on that list that is never going to let them in for for any number of reasons. It may be that the position is already filled. And if you've got junior classmen within that position, you're not going to be recruiting either. So it's not like you'll be rejected because you're not good enough. But sometimes the reality is you need to actually identify how good your talent is and be honest in that. And I think parents listening, you know, we love our kids, but you need to be realistic in, in where the skill set is. I, and I guess you meet families and parents all the time um, where the skill set just isn't quite right. That doesn't mean they're not a good candidate. And if you say no to them at Brown, what tips can you give them about then finding their best fit? So I heard a a coach recently say to me that big time is where you are. You know, if your dream is to to become a professional, it doesn't matter where you are, they'll find you. You know, if you want to be great, it doesn't matter if you're in the smallest school in the country or a big time program in your sport, you're going to get found. And I think making sure that you go where you wanted is a really, really important thing. You know, if you're going to sit on the bench behind people who are way more highly recruited than you, but you managed to talk your way in at the last second, for example, you might not have a great ex- college experience uh, in the same way where you go somewhere that feels really great and they're really excited to have you there uh, just as you're excited to be there and play. So, uh, you know, my best advice that I that I give student athletes is, is you know, big time is where you're at. Wherever you go, you're going to uh, shine in the sport that you're passionate about. Uh, and for parents and, and family who, you know, are feeling a little overwhelmed maybe by the whole process, you know, and kind of not really knowing where your student might fit, I would say that Really, when you think about college athletes in the U.S., you know, 2% of high school athletes go on to play college athletics, and then 2% of those go to the pros, and that's a kind of a, a good baseline statistic. I, I mean, I speak more specifically from football than for other sports, but making sure that, you know, are you the best player in your team? That's a great place to start and working towards being the best at where you are. And then if you're the best at where you are, you know, can you be the best in your competition, in your region, and pl- starting to kind of 
set those smaller goals. And as you get towards that process, towards the end of the process, you'll be able to figure out where it is that you fit in based on where you fit in currently, because, you know, all the work you've done to to be such a great player is going to help you later on. And like you said, there are lots of different levels of competition and and going where you are going to do a great job rather than have a terrible experience is so much more important than trying to go to a program because you you saw it on TV or you think the name is cool or you like the colors (laughs) Um, and that's the uniform you want to wear. Finding where you're going to have a great experience and showcase your skills and get to play is often a really big deciding factor. Now, as we move closer to the end of the podcast, Heather, I'd like to talk to you about your role as a coach in supporting your student athletes, but also the on-campus services that are there to support students reach their personal goals and be the best they can be. Tell us about how US colleges are there to help the whole person. Yeah, I think you know most coaches get into coaching because we 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 like to uh, help students be the best they can be. We want athletes to be great athletes, but we also are trying to develop, uh, in my case of football, young men and young women who who are passionate about the game and, and to be the best players they can be. But really you want them to be good humans, (laughs) you know, but, you know, we all know that sports, you know, teach confidence and, and teach leadership and all the great things that come from, from playing sports growing up. But part of doing that at, at the U S college level creates this camaraderie and this family around sports that maybe you haven't experienced uh, at a club level in Australia. I think, you know, for me coming to the U S and seeing, just how much the school community gets around the sports, how alumni get back involved, all those sorts of things that for us, we kind of see in the movies in Australia and be like, ah, oh, that would never happen. But it's it's real and it's true. And you have so many people cheering for you that you've never known. You have alumni who are your biggest fans, uh, who you'll never meet. <laughs> and you'll have other people who come out of the woodwork and, and want to help you and, and support you. And, you know, maybe they your mentor and help you on your path to your career and those sorts of things the school spirit and that side of it is something that is unmatched uh, and is a really really cool thing I know you became the first female positional coach um, in NCAA division one football so we love that fantastic but as we celebrate international women's day how do you reflect on that or do you reflect on that that's a, it's always an interesting question because, you know, for me, I, I've coached football coming up 16 years now and I had a really great supportive club in, in Melbourne, and but I was always one of the, the only women in the room and I think, I guess my parents just didn't tell me no often enough for me to see it as a big deal, but you always have that personal achievement when you get a promotion at work or you achieve something that you set out to. But I'm under no illusions that for me in particular, because of my gender, it becomes with a lot of other responsibility because I'm the first, I hope I'm not the last. And so by trying to do a great job and be where I'm at and hoping that other women will see me and see football specifically as an opportunity to follow their dreams and follow their passions. And for International Women's Day, you see a lot of quotes like, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And she believed she could, so she did. And and part of my role is is being in the public eye often and being seen so that other little girls and little boys can see what it, what is possible. And the little girls know that they can grow up and be football coaches and the little boys know that they should pick the little girls for their team because you never know who's going to be the person that's the best athlete or the best competitor or, or knows the most about football. 
What US college memories bring a smile to your face? I really have to think about this one. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just the, uh, the little things. I think for me coming into this role and this position, you know, on the other side of the international dateline, you know, a lot of it, you know, working with athletes who are a little older, who have a lot more football experience than what I was working with in Australia and being able to see them uh, take on board the advice that I give or the coaching point that I that I make and get a lot of joy out of seeing their improvement is fun for me to watch as well. You know, they uh, athletes always figure you out very quickly as a coach. And so for me to be able to make a mark in their careers is super exciting for me. But specifically, you know, things like senior day where there's a lot of tears, a lot of crying because that's the end of their college career. In a lot of cases, the end of their sporting career. It's kind of a special moment because for me growing up in Australia, I never kind of saw sports as like a finite thing. You just keep playing until your body gives out or you move away from home or work gets too hard. So for me, being a part of this basically giant retirement party for all these athletes who've given their everything through their high school and their college career is a really special thing to watch, but also very unique for me, understanding that, you know, we are so lucky to participate in the sports that we do uh, and all the opportunities that come our way. I think that's what Senior Day always reminds me of. That's interesting. Um, I'm a Northern Illinois University graduate and class rings are a really big thing in the US. So I still have my US college class ring that I wear every day. It's interesting how college life stays with you. It's interesting how the friendships that you make in college become a really big part of your life. Um, and I think for listeners out there, it's about being brave and believing in yourself and taking that belief a little bit further. And then when you have coaches believing in you in the US and you're on their team, it will be an experience that I know you will not be disappointed about. Last question, if you had a room full of Australians before you right now, considering to study in the US, what would you share with them? I would say, you know, what have you got to lose? Such a, a cool experience. Obviously talk from a student athlete perspective that growing up I would have given any to have all the facilities at my disposal to be able to train at the highest level and have the, the best coaches available and, and to compete at such a high level. And so I would say go for it because, you know, these four years that you would do not only give you a great educational experience and coming over and, and seeing the college facilities that you have at your disposal as an athlete is something that you should definitely, definitely have a go at. Heather, can I firstly start with thanking you for joining me? This conversation has been so enjoyable. Your responses have been so enlightening and informative. And I know that they'll encourage listeners who are considering to be recruited as a student athlete to a US college. So thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. To our listeners out there, if you're considering attending a US college, get in touch with Education USA Australia in Melbourne, Sydney and Perth. Our staff are ready to advise and guide you through the process. Projects take a team. Thanks to all of our supporters of this podcast series, but a special thanks to all at US Public Affairs Australia, Tim Johnson, Samantha Juster, Gabrielle Canallan, the Education USA Network, and of course, our session guests, who without them, this series is not possible. This is Samantha Jackson, and thanks for joining us in Graduate in the USA.